First, we find ourselves in Conroe, where two young girls' lives are taken after a summer fling gone wrong. Then, we travel a short distance to Houston, where a brother relentlessly dedicates his entire life to finding justice for his murdered sister. Welcome to episode 45 of Texas 1031. I just tell you guys yeah, you're right just what <laughs> we were talking about kids names because her kids names not yeah my obviously yeah like shoot me in the face and <laughs> no problem i was like i want to name my child this if i ever have one and but I... I want her middle name to be this and hannah was like that's stupid you yeah. can't do that it sounds stupid and she was like maybe you should just do a letter like no 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 i said Leave her name the way it is because mm-hmm. it sounded like a fucking rad ass porn star name. Yeah, and you were like, "Yeah, she doesn't even need a middle name." And I was uh-huh. like, "Yeah," or <laughs> or you can just do one letter, you know, like Harry S. Truman. He did that. S didn't stand for shit. Ha! And ha! then we both ha! went. <gasps> we pointed at each other. They did it. Yeah, it was a great moment. Hannah's face was great. I know it was comedy gold. And if you're just now getting it, congratulations. Rewind 15 seconds and maybe you'll get it. Yep. Or you're smarter than us and it wasn't that funny. Right. everyone this is cassie and hannah this is texas 1031 this is a true texas true crime podcast la, la, la. um yeah welcome back cotter huh that's a show welcome back cotter it was in the 50s back when things were good oh yeah i, oh, I yeah. forgot <laughs> i wished i lived back then that's been a common theme we've been <laughs> hanging out for like five hours and we've had so many jokes Clearly. You guys are going to get a very weird episode today. Yeah. Only two mimosas in, though, so. I know. We're doing pretty good on drinking. Sorry if you can hear a fan oscillating in the background. I don't mm-hmm. have uh, air conditioning. Yep. And it's actually not as hot as I would have expected. Your the face fans are looks good. like it's pretty hot because. My face always looks like that. <laughs> like my cheeks feel red. Yeah, Kane's mine do too. cheeks are red. Yeah, Kane has been panting this whole yeah, time. Kane but... is wearing a fur coat, so he's definitely hot. But uh, anyway, what uh, what do you have to say? Um, my recommendation is something that you originally recommended to us. I'm going to oh, recommend. Yeah. We have to be serious right now. That you guys go listen to the Let's Not Meet podcast done by, now we can say our friend. Ooh. Um, we may or may not be guest recording on an upcoming episode maybe whatever it's fine but you should listen to it because it's amazing anyways so yeah that's my recommendation go become a fan of does he say his name he does yeah. he does go I'm become a friend of An- andrew yeah. yeah yeah so yeah we get to guest uh read on this upcoming episode yeah let's not meet so yeah 
If you're not already sick of our voices, mm-hmm. you can go become sick of our voices. <laughs> yes. And we don't talk about murder. We talk about weird people and that's all we'll tell you. And if you're listening to this podcast because you heard us on Let's Not Meet, I'm sorry. It's about to get real weird. Really bad. Yeah. We're sorry to let you down. All right. You ready, Freddy? Ready. I need to position my... Smitty. What? I don't know. Okay. Okay. Um. So, <laughs> I need to really calm down. This story uh, takes place in Conroe, which um, Cassie mentioned, like I always say. If you're unfamiliar, Conroe is uh, a bit north of Houston. So suburbish. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, this takes place in 1990. So great. Let me zoom in because my eyesight. Uh, Grace and Tiffany Pernhagen, I believe that's how you uh, pronounce it, were residents of the town um, of Oak Ridge North, which is about 10 minutes from Conroe. Grace was 16 and Tiffany was only nine. So this is kind of a bummer. Shit. Yeah. Uh, on the night of Wednesday, June 13th, the girl's parents and two brothers plan to attend an auto race in Houston, whatever that means. I'm assuming NASCAR, but this is in Alabama, so I don't know. Hmm. Or Arkansas? I don't Mississippi? know. Mississippi? Florida? Tennessee? Yeah. Um, anyway, the sisters were not interested. Um, they supposedly told their parents it was going to be dusty and loud. Same. Uh, So their dad gave them 10 bucks, dropped them off at the mall, and uh, the girls told their parents they'd probably go eat dinner, maybe catch a movie, uh, or go bowling, and they promised they'd be home by 11 p.m. that night. It's sweet that they're they're close, that age difference. It's really sweet. Yeah. I didn't do shit with my sister. I don't know, man. Like, okay, fucking, I hate to bring up Scott, but he always is like, you always think something (laughs) is incestual. And it's like, do I give off that vibe all the time? You just did. I know, but I meant like they weren't that close. It wasn't that they were closer than that. That's not what anyone means when they talk about siblings being close. You haven't even watched Game of Thrones. I have. Thank you so much. Oh, oh, oh. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> like two episodes. <laughs> well, you've seen the incest then. No. It was like some city blowing up. Anyway, oh. focus, focus, focus. It's 11 p.m. 10.59 and 44 seconds. Not so big surprise. Grace and Tiffany did not make that uh, 11 p.m. promised curfew. And um, the search for the young girls began. So the police sort of did a little kind of classic backtracking of the girls' movement. So um, according to witnesses, the girls had been seen at a restaurant around 6.30. I did hear that it was like like whatever the old version of the Woodlands Mall was is what okay. they, where they were at. But I don't know if there technically was an old version of the Woodlands Mall. Don't right. quote me on it, but whatever. Just to paint a picture if you guys are from the area. Um, so they were seen at a restaurant around 6.30. Hour later, 7.30 obviously. Um They were spotted at a nearby convenience store and several of Grace's school friends told police that they remembered seeing she and Tiffany at the uh, Fair Lanes bowling alley, um, including one of her friends specifically recalling that Grace told him that she was waiting for a boy named Delton. Gross. Believed to be a uh, classmate, on-again, off-again boyfriend. Um, The police continued to speak with witnesses in the area. um, And at that time, uh, a few more said that that around 8.30, they saw Grace and Tiffany outside talking with two men in a blue and white pickup truck. 
Um, and this is basically essentially where eyewitness eyewitness accounts end. And after that, the girl's timeline, all of it, just the trail goes cold. Um, fast forward to 4 a.m. on June 15th. So the girls go out June 13th. We're going to move forward about 48 hours to 4 a.m. on June 15th. So just a couple days later, a Montgomery County Sheriff's deputy stopped a station wagon with a flat tire that was kind of barely making its way down the highway. Um, the driver of the station wagon was 20-year-old Ben Fulton, and the passenger was 16-year-old Delton Douthit. Oh, that's an unfortunate name. Right. Forensic files, and yes, his last name makes you sound like you have a lisp when you say it. Uh-huh. So, like, not Delta or Dalton. Delton. Delton. So, like, the airline mixed with the common name Dalton. Mm, he sounds like a, like a duck to me. Delton duck. Smart. Yes. I'm, I'm whippy with You're it, too. You're so pretty. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to laugh because this is a terrible murder. It's like know, absolutely I'm horrible. Sorry. I'm sorry. Too. I don't know what's wrong with us guys. You know, we care know. about we, our victims. Yeah. Not our victims. <laughs> what the fuck? The uh, officer. Re- uh, nope. I can't read. Okay. So the officer that actually pulls the guys over. Okay. So the guy that spots them at 4 a.m. Station wagon. Barely making it down the highway. Mm-hmm. He uh, remembers spotting several, this is casual, right, cinder blocks and uh, lengths of rope inside the vehicle, as you do. Gotta have it on backup. Um, After he pulls the guys over, um, he sees, you know, obviously all the stuff in the car, blah, blah, blah. He runs their IDs. And at that point, Ben Fulton, 20-year-old kid, is arrested on outstanding traffic warrants, which is kind of funny. (laughs) Like you parked wrong i don't know yeah or like you ran that light that one light in conroe at the time literally what that means yeah come on pretty much (laughs) and then uh delton he was just released back into his father's custody whatever nothing crazy but it is still pretty important to the story so keep all of that kind of timeline in mind um another day later so june 16th the sheriff's office received a call from a construction worker named max smith Max was calling to request an officer immediately come to his home because earlier that morning, one of his own employees came to his house and kind of started spilling some details about a double murder. So kind of a lot of people in this one, but not really. I'll try and just give you the high points of it. Um, So Deputy Heather Drennan was dispatched to Max's home. So he was, again, the guy that called saying, hey, someone needs to come to my house. I got some guy talking about a murder. Okay. So she shows up, Heather shows up, and she meets this Peter Brown. He's the one that is telling Max about this double homicide. Peter began to once again recount the same story to Heather that he had told Max earlier. Um, Peter tells Heather that he had a conversation with two of his male co-workers just a couple days prior, and one of them had bragged about raping and killing a girl named Casey. Uh, Peter explains that the men had brought Peter to the wooded area that uh, the girls, yeah, the girls were at, (laughs) not giving anything away, and uh, showed him not just one, but two female corpses. What the fuck? Yeah. At this point, Heather is just like, oh, yeah, this is super chill. Let's go check out these bodies, shall we? (laughs) So Heather, Max, and Peter, they all head down to uh, an undeveloped portion of what was at the time known as uh, Imperial Oaks Subdivision or the Imperial Oaks Subdivision. I don't know what it is now, if it's still there or whatever. Um, But this is where Heather finds the bodies laid out there head to head and partially concealed by trees and brush. 
and dental records do confirm that the bodies that are found are that of Grace and Tiffany Pernhagen. Um, they believe that Peter was actually just hearing the name Casey when they were actually saying Gracie. Um, she was often called that as kind of a nickname. So just to clarify. Okay. So I bet you're wondering who the co-workers are that are spinning this story. And I kind of bet you already know. Yeah. Ben Fulton and Delton Douthit. Uh, so at this point, police are headed to track down Delton and Ben. So Ben was quickly found and arrested on suspicion of murder, and a search warrant was actually issued for his station wagon. Like I said, the same one that was barely trekking down the highway. Um, ben denies participating in the murders of Grace and Tiffany and actually provided an alibi uh, or several alibi witnesses who actually cleared him of any involvement in the double homicide. Um, he did, however, admit to volunteering to help Delton move the bodies. Um, and this was interesting. So I didn't, I don't want to say I didn't check, but I didn't check because the article that was written was in a new enough or early enough uh, time period to where I just kind of took it at its word. But um, it said that at the time, Texas had no law to punish accessory after the fact. So, again, uh. don't take my word for it. Was it 1990 and they didn't have that law or is it still to this day? Go find out yourself, whatever. <laughs> uh, but basically, Ben was just used as a material witness in the case from that point on. So he was saying, look, I have an alibi, blah, blah, blah. They couldn't punish him for saying, yeah, I was going to help him uh, bury these bodies or get rid of the bodies. So he's irrelevant kind of at this point. So now they have to go find Delton, but he is MIA. He and his father, Dennis, you heard that right. Dennis, Dennis. and Delton Douthit, forensic files, mm -hmm. have supposedly gone to Louisiana to visit relatives. Convenient. Right. Um... Yeah. Police would inevitably catch up to Delton in Louisiana. They would extradite him back to Texas on a capital murder warrant. This is kind of, I don't know, major at this point, because, I mean, they really basically, I mean, all right. I guess Ben is kind of handled at this point, mm -hmm. but they just have this like fellow coworker that's claiming these guys confessed to him and right. that these, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like they have the girls, but they haven't ran forensics or done any sort of testing, formal interviews. So I was kind of surprised, I guess, that at they the were, like. Yeah. Capital murder. Right. Boom. <clears throat> exactly. But it doesn't really matter because Ben's, uh, you know, original charges, they're kind of dropped, basically, like I explained. But once Delton is apprehended and extradited back to Texas from Louisiana, he confesses to basically everything. Wow. Long story short, um, he says that he killed both of the girls after a heated argument about he and Grace's relationship and that Tiffany was more or less collateral damage. So, however, due to the crime scene and how the girls were murdered, investigators just, like, they were not buying it, okay? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, also, witnesses claim they saw two men outside of the truck, so things just, like, weren't adding up. Um, like I told you kind of before we started recording, there's a bit of back and forth on the confessions and who says what, so I'll kind of save some time and confusion and tell y'all now that the uh, blue and white uh, truck belonged to Delton's father, Dennis, and he was the other man seen by witnesses with Delton that evening. What the hell? So um, the father and son kind of go back and forth, like I said, implicating each other in different aspects and parts of the crime. But um, I'll now tell you the uh, full events of the night. I'm dying to know. And they're not great. Oh, God. 
All right, so this is the real story, most likely. Grace and Tiffany did go to the movies and uh, bowling that night. Um, Grace did have plans to meet up with her boyfriend, Delton. Um, I'm uncertain kind of how long they had been dating or any of that. So I don't know if it was just like we met over the spring semester or like blah, blah, blah. This is like a new thing. But it was definitely on and off again, like I had mentioned. So Mm -hmm. Delton had arranged to have Dennis his father, drive him to the bowling alley to pick up the girls and take them home. So they pick up the girls as planned and a super fucking piece of shit, Dennis, suggests that they stop and, uh, you know, drink some beer. What the fuck? His father? (laughs) Can you not believe it? Oh, my God. (laughs) Delton and Dennis uh, had picked up a couple six packs earlier and Grace agreed. So Dennis drove the group to an isolated area and parked to drink a few of the beers before taking the girls home. Nine-year-old. They have a nine-year-old with Yeah, them. true. I, like, I'm not really kind of totally believing this, but also kind of because of the fact that she's 16, maybe she wants some alone time with her 16-year-old boyfriend. I don't know. For all we know, I feel like, do I want to say this? Grace could have been planning to meet up with Delton this whole time. Right. And the only way she could have really organized it was to have her sister tag along. Right. But I don't know. That's kind of that age old predicament of like, well, I got to go meet my boyfriend. But like, what am I supposed to do with my sister? Mm -hmm. Like, I guess you just got to show up. Don't tell mom and dad. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I feel like a 16 year old would rather go make out with her boyfriend and have a few beers than spend the night with her significantly, like I was trying to point out earlier, yes. significantly younger sister at a bowling alley is all yes, I'm saying. I get it now. Yeah. Not <laughs> incestual. <laughs> so the former version seems a little more believable to me, I guess. So um, at this point, they're all hanging out or whatever. Um, this is awful, everyone. Just like I didn't. You probably aren't gathering that from how like silly we've been, but this is terrible. I have a feeling I know what's going to happen. Maybe you do. Whatever. Uh, Grace and Delton hop out of the truck. They go around back. They start kissing, fooling around, whatever. And Tiffany was left up front in the truck with Dennis. Mm-hmm. I don't really think that Grace was trying to put her sister in harm's way necessarily. Well, because she's I, with her boyfriend's dad. Right. And I don't think maybe maybe she did get the vibe. Maybe she never got the vibe. I don't know. But I think that she probably she's 16 okay you probably thought oh wow this dad is cool he's allowing us to drink i'm allowed to go hook up with his son in the back of the truck but like i'm gonna leave my sister alone like i don't know i don't think she did it knowingly thinking like okay this is risky you know what i mean like i don't think it was intentional it was like okay tiffany just shut the fuck up and deal with it like yeah you know how long did this cool dad groom her too to think that he's just this harmless cool guy kind of uh, like you know the the length of their relationship yeah and like how i read some article that he had lived with his mother for the majority of his life and life and basically kind of was like kind of wrong side of the track situation Mm -hmm. and was just like fuck you mom and like i'm gonna go live with my dad that i've basically never met right so your dad turns out to be what i'm assuming is a not a great guy pedophile yeah great that's fantastic (laughs) um anyway but yeah the whole like dusty and loud thing i just feel like it was all a lie and like she just wanted to go hang out with him which you know what that's fine it's fine exactly it is fine but just you know don't the rest of this isn't fine yeah anyway i'm sure um, so yeah, Delton Grace, they're kissing, doing whatever horny teenagers do, and then all the sweet, uh, or all the sweet, wow, all of a sudden, sweet baby angel, poor Tiffany, um, she comes to the back of the truck, 
um, looking absolutely frightened. She basically whispers to Grace that Dennis tried to touch her sexually. And um, that's when she ran out to her sister. Nine years old. Um, Dennis gets out of the truck and comes to the back where all the kids are standing. Kids. Yep. Just like want to reiterate. He says that he had made a mistake. And as he holds out a knife, he says, we've got to get rid of them. <gasps> oh, my God. Um, Dennis pushes Grace to the ground. He immediately cuts her throat. Dennis orders Delton, his son, to start strangling Tiffany. Um, Delton used his hands to strangle her until she fell to the ground and then used a rope as a garrote of sorts. Um, the rope was actually still around her neck when she was found. Ugh. Um, I like don't even want to talk about this. Meanwhile, <clears throat> Dennis got um, Delton's beer bottle off the back of the no, truck. No, 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 no. And proceeded to rape Grace with it while she is essentially bleeding out. Oh, God. Um, he doesn't just rape her vaginally, but he sodomizes her with the <sighs> beer bottle. Um, and Dennis then tells Delton, again, 16-year-old son, to join in raping his 16-year-old girlfriend, Grace, but he refused. Uh, Dennis then cuts Grace's throat again, stabs her, and gives Delton a knife, telling him to cut Tiffany's throat, nine-year-old Tiffany that he has just strangled. But instead, Delton pockets the knife, um, and then they carry Tiffany into the woods. Um, she is definitely deceased and then they uh both help carry grace down um dennis threw the bottle that he used to rape and sodomize grace with in the back of the truck and Ugh. they just take off so afterwards um the two are then kind of seen around town surprisingly um in the bloody clothes that they still had on um and then the next day is when delton is pulled over with ben um so they have the rope the cinder blocks all that stuff that's in the car because they're about to go attempt to move the bodies. Got it. Yeah. That, and that's how Ben knows about this. The flat tire really screwed them over yeah. in the long run. Um, so basically, uh, police kind of determined that Dennis was the main perpetrator, but did force Delton to strangle Tiffany. Yeah. Um, after a bunch of back and forth, like I said, implicating yes. one or the other of who did what, like, his dad tries to say, yeah, I was at the murder scene, but he did everything and like vice versa. It was like a weird back and forth. Basically, he's saying Delton is saying, I just tried to cover for my dad and take the blame. But, you know, I realized he's a piece of shit, so I'm not going to let him just like let me take the fall for it. What the hell? So um, Delton ends up taking police to where the murder weapon is in the woods behind their home. So the knife that was used to um, kill Grace and cut her throat and stab her. Uh, was found, and then they actually, like, the bloody fucking beer bottle that he used to rape her with was still in the fucking back of the truck with his fingerprints on it. Oh, my God. So the police were able to uh, grab that as well. And in exchange for all of this, um, the state offers 16-year-old, let me just keep keep saying it, uh, Delton, 45 years in prison and parole eligibility in 2002, and he takes the deal. Wow. Yeah. So how would you feel, I don't know, if your dad was a total piece of shit and kind of forced you into this? I'm thinking at knife point to back to kill your girlfriend and her sister. Wayne and what's his name with Dean Coral, how it's like 
it kind of spirals out of control and Mm -hmm. they have to they're like well i'm here already and they feel the pressure from this older person that they trust yeah and love i i mean yeah i don't know and he's probably probably terrifying kind of a fucked up kid too because you know his family doesn't sound like the most functional and yeah a little unstable i just kind of started hanging out with my dad started living with my dad you don't know what people are capable of or what they're capable of being pushed into And we don't know Ugh. the verbatim conversation either. I mean, it could have been way more threatening. Oh, I'm sh- that's what you I'm picturing. I mean? Like super threatening. He has a fucking knife. knife. He hand. just yeah. slit my girlfriend's right. throat. Can you imagine? No. Yeah. Um. So that's Delton. He takes the uh, plea deal, if you will. Um. Dennis, I, I like his sentence too. Yeah. Well, yeah. Unless he gets out really early. <laughs> no. Okay. Uh, I kind of feel bad for the guy, but also I don't know. He's still a piece of shit. Well. I do feel like he was coerced, but yes. his behavior, like, afterwards isn't, like, the best, but we'll, we'll okay. talk about it. Um, Dennis, however, this motherfucker, his trial uh, begins on September 28th, 1992, with his own fucking son appearing as the chief uh, prosecution witness against him, which wow. is terrifying. Yeah. Um, also, two of Dennis's female relatives were also called to testify, okay? Against him? Correct. This is no good. Actually, this shit is great. Um, so besides the knife, beer bottle, fingerprints, all that stuff, they have these horrific testimonies, okay? So oh the uh, relatives testified that Dennis was known for having fits of rage with women, as you do, because, God, <laughs> we're intolerable. Oh, God, I know. <laughs> Just listen to us. I know. Including family members, like the one that is about that I'm about to kind of quote. Um, she said that um, he sexually assaulted her over a period of seven years. Mm-hmm. She said that Dennis suffered from. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Suffer. <laughs> Micropenis? N- uh, more or less extreme bouts of impotence. Yes. Which ignited his rage. Fuck you, piece of shit. Right. <laughs> So basically, when he couldn't get hard, he would get pissed off and rape these women. I mean, Mm. first and foremost, the action to sexually assault was there. He couldn't get it up and uh, furthered his anger. Right. Okay. Then it became like physically violent rather than sexually violent. I don't know. One and the same. Yeah. He took it out, his rage out even further, I guess. Um, So he didn't have a penis to rape them with. So he used foreign objects. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay. The uh, other woman that testified against him, who was actually his own daughter, by the way, and 18 at the time, testified that Dennis had actually raped her four fucking days before Grace and Tiffany were murdered. What? Good for... That is... What a fucking hero, brave-ass woman to... I agree. Oh, my God. Um, She's... Faced her fucking rapist father in court. Like, that's insane to me. That had been raping her for... Years, I'm sure. Oh. uh, Well, I'll tell you in just a second. Um, She states that Dennis had been raping her since she was 11. Oh, my God. With objects, including bottles Hmm. and broomsticks. Oh, my God. So, sounds familiar. Can you... I just can't. No. Thank you. Uh, jurors deliberated barely four hours before convicting Dennis Douthit on all counts and recommending execution. And that's exactly what happened. Cool. March 7th, which, uh, my best friend in high school, that was her birthday. I'll never forget that. Uh It's kind of weird. Uh, 2001. Sobbing, Dennis addresses Grace and Tiffany's parents. Quote, 
I'm sorry for what you had to go through. I'm so sorry what you all had to go through. I can't imagine losing two children. If I was you all, I would have killed me. I'm really sorry about, I'm really sorry about it. I really am. Gracie, fuck you. Gracie was beautiful and Tiffany was beautiful. You had some lovely girls and I'm sorry. I don't know what to say. He was pronounced dead at 6.18 p.m., seven minutes after the lethal dose began. Oh, I was going to leave this out, but for the fuck of it, um, because it's lame. His final meal was uh, a dozen fried eggs and a loaf of bread. Gross. So no one cares, but. A fuck a whole loaf? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. One egg <laughs> Like not even toast? Piece. Like, yeah, ew. It was, doesn't, that disgusting was like. That's why I didn't even out. bring it up because it wasn't even good. No. Um, Delton, uh, whoops. Delton Douthat Delta is still incarcerated. Um, he Good. actually tried to escape in 1996. Cool. Which tacked on uh, a few more years to his prison sentence. Yeah, you fucking moron. Like, you know you might get out early for good behavior. And being uh, a minor. Yeah. I don't know, in the 90s when everything was yippee skippy. He's not cut out for prison because he's a piece of shit. Hey, speaking of which, I found this on writeaprisoner.com. Oh, great. So he has some girlfriend that writes it. No, his... Okay, I'll just read it. It's okay. Uh, Salubrious salutations. That's his uh, greeting. Cool. Salubrious, sure. Um, After a lengthy incarceration, 26 years, I sometimes find it hard to recall the excitement and love of life I once experienced, and I live in hopes of finding it again through correspondence. Personal correspondence correspondence offers an opportunity to explore life otherwise inaccessible in prison plus forensic also exposed me to a positive influence rarely found behind bars about me physically i am six feet one inch tall 195 or 195 pounds with a solid athletic build blonde hair and blue eyes that's a lie (laughs) personality enthusiastic sincere understanding with a friendly disposition sure as a 16-year-old, I committed a dreadful crime for which I will forever be judged. Or I will be forever judged, sorry. I hope that you won't define me by this fact alone and will see me as a continual work in progress. Insight into my past self-destructive behavior has allowed me to set aside my guilt complex stemming from my crime and has allowed me to focus on becoming the productive, respectable man I have wanted to become. Yeah, just go ahead and say fuck all about the two women you murdered. Whatever. It's fine. Some of my interests are. I love these because just like that one survival story I taught, or what was that? That was a, right? Where yeah. I like list his like shit that his hobbies. And I was uh-huh. like, but did you really do that? Cause you're in prison. Some of my interests are residential construction and design. So prison work, carpentry, prison work, leather crafting, prison work, anything automotive, prison work, anything artistic. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, and I am interested in, Oh, I, this is good. And I'm interested in becoming fluent in Spanish. Ye- okay. I'll I would be it. willing. I would be willing to respond in Espanol. Uh-huh. If okay. you are willing to be patient with me. I also love professional sports. Classic. Um, I would like to build long-lasting relationships that will continue once I am released. I have at least two years of incarceration <laughs> remaining, but hope to use that time to build the foundation of a deeper friendship or even a romantic relationship meant to last well beyond these walls. I prefer female correspondence, but all will be answered. 
Delton remains in the um, Estelle unit, which is in Huntsville. His, uh, projected, or he is projected to be released on June 18th, 2042. Um, I don't know. I felt like that was kind of sad. I mean, even like the jokes and stuff, like, true, like leather crafting, you don't know. <laughs> like, you didn't do that when you were 16. You didn't do that when you're 45 while you're still in prison. But yeah. um, I kind of feel-ish bad for him because I, I don't know. I feel like it's one of those things that, like, by law, you still murdered someone. So we have to charge mm-hmm. you with something. You did turn over your dad. You did to ad- admit to this. You could have kept it a secret. But you also... At least, according to Peter Brown, bragged about it. Right. And that's a little fucked up. Right. Or was that taken as bragging when it was really just like, hey, I'm trying to confess to someone. Someone hear me because I feel guilty. Right. I don't know. Anyways, um, I found this on uh, lastly, murdervictims.com. I believe it was written by the girl's mother. Um, Tiffany Elena Pernhagen was born at 1230 in the afternoon on February 4th, 1981, which was just a couple days ago. Yeah. Um, anniversary wise. She was four pounds, four ounces and bald. She had huge oh. brown eyes and looked exactly like her older sister, Stacy. I told people, Peeper. I told people they were twins born nine years apart. She was a very loving child and usually mild mannered. Being the youngest, she was usually teased um, by her older sisters and brothers. I called her Mouse, and she would call me her Mouse Mommy. She was our baby. When I wasn't working, we were definitely joined at the hip. She was good in school, and all her teachers loved her. Um, Where her sister, Gracie, was outgoing, Tiffany was extremely level-headed for her age. Um, She was also generous with her hugs and kisses. She was always doing things to help around the house and anywhere she could. She was always concerned about your feelings and was very tactful for a little girl. She would have turned 38 just a few days ago, just to uh, reiterate that. Ugh. Um, Grace Marie Pernhagen was born at 2.30 a.m. on June 3rd, 1974. She weighed in at four and a half pounds. Why are all these babies underweight? I but, know. Okay. Uh, she had beautiful light blue eyes and no hair. Again, bald like her <laughs> sister. Most babies are. Um, she was a healthy baby, slept through the night from the moment she was brought into the home. I think she was born with a smile on her face. To us, she was a source of joy, and we knew there would never be a dull moment in our lives with her around. We miss her terribly, but we thank God that he has blessed us with such a dynamic spirit like Gracie. If even for a short time, she will always be in our hearts and minds. She gave us as many, uh, she gave us many happy memories, and she will always be our daughter. Um, this case was actually, like I told you before, this was, uh, covered <clears throat> in a book called Gone with the Night, the Rape Slaying Trial by Robert Buscarado. And it was briefly covered in a book called The Encyclopedia of Kidnappings by Michael Newton. And that's, uh, anybody want to get me that book? I'd gladly take it because <laughs> it was a really rad read. Um, but yeah, I know that that's kind of a uh, short in comparison. I'd to all the other shit that I fucking talk about. Um, but I still felt like it was a good one. It was super gross and super yeah. sad and um, didn't have too much time to throw it together. But not really questions and theories. I, like I said, feel kind of bad for Delton, but I, you know, I don't know. If his dad was a piece of, sh- piece of shit, maybe he could have stepped in. I, I have no idea. I'm not going to victim blame him in any capacity. It's terrible all the way around. So many lives were affected. This guy's dead. This kid's in prison. These two children are dead, you know. And you know. obviously the parents are affected, so I don't know what to say. That's a that was that was horrible. Yeah, that was terrible. Yeah, and because because it, it just makes no sense, right? You know, it's just it's not something that you can. I I don't know. He could have easily 
just driven them home Mm -hmm. and denied everything because people believe adults more than kids, I guess. You know, like, it's just there there was no need for it. So that wants me – that makes me want to really study, like, do a pedophilia series. I I really want to figure out what the fuck mental illness ties in with it and, like – why these people do these things and why this guy was like so violent but also had a literally had a taste for yeah pre-pubescent little girls it's just i think that i mean he had a a tendency for pedophilic tendencies yeah but i also think that he maybe i don't know when his impotence started so it's kind of like did he start going after younger girls after he realized hey it's not working out with women my age. But he also, at some point, did have a daughter. Right. You know? And I don't... She was 18 uh, when he was, you know, on trial. So I don't, you know, I don't really know how that correlates to everything. But, I mean, when all this started for him, he could have been having, you know, urges for forever. You yeah. Know what I mean? So, obviously, he had been raping her since she was 11 years old. So, right. I mean... I don't I think that the impotence factor might be a cop out is my point. Is I, that yeah. he just maybe use that to push it on people. Right. Yeah. Push it on children. Yeah, victim blame. Like this is happening because yeah. of this because you didn't Yeah. You that I'm, I'm about to rape anyways couldn't make me get it up. So now I'm, I'm angry, angry at and I'm the gonna... women that are my age that couldn't make yeah, it happen yeah, yeah, yeah. and I'm going to take it out on these children because they're in my presence. I mean, the and way the, the power story, complex. Yeah, the way the story played out, it was really sad from Delton's perspective and I know you kind of have like a, a chipped shoulder with him sort of like annoyance. Yeah. But the way he put it was like I was so terrified of my dad that I just was going to put it all on me because I was too scared to you right. know even implicate him you oh, know yeah I mean? we like, I don't doubt that a man that's been raping his own right. daughter since she was 11 I oh, don't doubt that he's not a pleasant fucking no. dude to yeah. live with and be around he's probably physically abusive emotionally abusive and it just seemed all too planned out I feel like Delton was like hey dad I'm gonna go meet up with my girlfriend and her sister I'm gonna go walk them home or whatever and he'd be like oh no problem. Let's pick up some beer, son. I'll help you take them home. Like, it just right. seemed all too convenient to plant. Like, let's just go pop up, you know, cold right. one in the woods. And like, I don't know, man, like Delton didn't seem to have the greatest upbringing. So he could have never seen it coming. Right. I don't know. And Grace was probably like, this guy's cute. I read a lot. Oh, yeah. Know, Tiffany, tie along. It'll be fine. Don't tell mom. And, you know. Fuck. Dennis was... The only reason for this, no child nope. did anything wrong. Nope, absolutely not. It's so much easier, and that's what we were kind of talking about with like Bundy and shit. It's like so much easier to rationalize things when there's a why. Mm-hmm. When there's not a why, absolutely. it's like cool. This guy was just a monster yeah. from the beginning, for and sure. but we don't know anything about his history. We don't know right. what caused him to do this. Not that it's an excuse, but it would be interesting. It would be interesting. Yeah, it yeah. would be good to yeah scholarly for uh, academic a scholarly writing and arithmetic yes (laughs) oh shit i'm pulling the couch cushions out so thanks for that you're welcome (laughs) you're so welcome i'm going to tell y'all about the murder of diane maxwell jackson so 11 days before Christmas in 1969 25-year-old single mom diane lee maxwell jackson parked her car in the Southwestern Bell parking lot at 1121 Capitol Street in downtown Houston. 
that building is now a historical landmark, whatever. So it was a short walk to the building where inside she worked as a telephone operator. But Diane would never make it inside. Big surprise. Diane would be found by a area homeless man named William Bell who noticed a suspicious looking man leaving um, an abandoned like shack slash shed that was near the southwestern Bell building but kind of positioned behind an abandoned gas station which is kind of confusing it, it was a building very close to her workplace so Diane was still alive William asked her if she was okay if she needed help he notices that her hands are tied. She begs him to untie her, and he very smartly, I think, refuses to untie her and instead rushes to phone 911. Diane is dead before police arrive on the scene. Why do you think it was smart that he didn't untie her? Because he is the first suspect in this crime, because he's the one that found her. Uh, his prints would have been on the ties. They would have been... So, assuming she died... Assuming she was going to die anyways and him untying her wasn't going to help. It could have. I don't know. But I think he could have been implicated, especially because he was an, uh, he was a homeless guy. And he was a, and he was a black it. guy as well. Yeah. So, you know, back in the 1960s still wasn't a really great time for black people. Back in the 2019. <laughs> right. Yeah. Back in forever and, all, and ever. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we all suck. White people. Um, but yeah, so that's why I think, I think he could have been implicated. He was able to kind of give a a pretty good description of the man he saw leaving, but we're talking about Houston, which even in 1969 was a giant city. Bell was, like I said, able to give a description, but this man was not identified. Um, it was found that Diane suffered an almost medical precision, yeah, slice to the abdomen it was about one inch deep and it happened to sever an artery so she bled out and she died um she had also been sexually assaulted police investigated the scene um and oh yeah this is where i watched the forensics files episode before i left today and there was info on the internet that's, like, fucking useless because of this forensic files. So police investigated the scene. Um, I believe they found a coat, all of that. They took photos. Diane is dead. They uh, kind of suspect William Bell. Nine hours later, about a mile away from the scene, um, Diane's vehicle, which was missing from the scene, along with all of her money and her purse, she was robbed, um, it's found abandoned. Police were able to lift latent prints off the door handle of a partial palm and three partial fingertips. So they've got some prints. They've got a description. This is a massive city. It's been, this guy has nine hours headway. The case goes cold. So the evidence was filed away and Diane's family was left to grieve with no real answers. Um, In 1984, her murderers prints were found by an hbd employee because they had been filed incorrectly in the archives so they pop up again they go through the database that they had available to them in 1984 which was kind of nothing no hits happen in 1989 my birth year <laughs> yeah uh hbd launched a month-long dive 
Back again into Diane's case, desperately wanting to match the prints with something in their database, but nothing pinged and her case again went cold. This was especially frustrating because it was Diane's own brother, David, who urged HPD to reopen her case. So David, he didn't let it just get filed away. He didn't let it fall to the wayside. He wanted to find out who murdered his sister. So he is definitely the person. Ah, the relentless brother. The relentless brother. (laughs) (laughs) We changed the intro from relentless brother to brother Brother relentlessly. relentlessly. He's the relentless brother. (laughs) David had actually been studying to become a lawyer when Diane was taken from them. And he decided to abandon those dreams to become a uh, Texas State Highway Patrolman and then later a Texas Ranger. So his sister died and he dedicated his life to law enforcement, kind of to give him an in, you know, more of a push. Like, my sister died, open this case file, take a look at it again, let's check the database again. Which is kind of sad because it's like it shouldn't be that way. I know. know, Regardless who died and who, how, your connection, it should be taken. Like, it's sad that her shit was only even kind of reopened in 84 because of a misplacement. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. The bummer it is because it's there's only so many people that they can employ and there are yeah. how many fucking murder victims in our city it's great i think there's a whole podcast uh dedicated to houston being a murder city ah ah there she got Pun it 1812 yes. murder city it's a pod listen to it it's a pod so um he asked Houston police to again review witness testimony and original evidence and an area newspaper ran an article to garner assistance from the public and still nothing. So David was still determined. And like I said, he has he pushed to keep the case active and not to not go completely cold. In July of 2003, Texas Department of Public Safety latent print technician Jill Kincaid prepared the prints for a search in the FBI's Integrated Automatic Fingerprint Identification System. The IAFIS had actually only gone live three years prior. So this is new technology. I'm assuming that she kind of almost had to... Yeah, APHIS. Okay. Yeah. I'm assuming that she almost had to wait in line. Like, all right, we've got this case. It's cold. Her brother has been pushing us. And she's like, I'm waiting for my turn. Getting these prints prepared. Let's send them off when we have a chance to. Within five hours, they had 20 potential matches. Kincaid was able to narrow down the latent print, which, like I said, was from a palm and three fingerprints, to one person. A career criminal named James Ray Davis. Houston Police uh, Department Sergeant and lead investigator on Diane's case, James Ramsey, um, also known as Jim in other interviews, was able to track Davis to a Texarkana home, um, kind of like a project government funded, where he had been living for some time. Investigators knew that a print match would not be enough, but a confession would seal the deal. So in August of 2003, just one month after the prints are popped up, so they're on it, they want to solve this case, James said that he had an emotional connection to it um, and wanted to see justice brought forward for this family. Ramsey knocked on Davis's door, uh, Ramsey and a couple other officers, and they said he was friendly and invited them inside, but became visibly shocked and his demeanor totally changed once investigators let them know he was from Houston and tried to pin down his whereabouts during 1969 and 1970. 
Quote, he was definitely nervous. In fact, I handed him a photo of Jackson's car and he acted like he didn't want to touch it, said Sergeant Ramsey. Investigators got Davis to confess to <clears throat> Diane's murder, but not to raping her, of course. Um, they took him to the Texarkana Police Department to obtain a good set of prints and a DNA swab. He was then released and surveilled until an arrest warrant was obtained. So James Ray Davis was indeed arrested and then pled guilty in court. And on November 4th, 2003, so remember, the prints were matched in July. November, he's already sentenced to life in prison for Diane's rape and murder. By this point, he's old. He doesn't think he's going to last in jail. Um, and he said that he's been regretful of what he did when he was younger. So he ple- he pleads guilty. He does. But just for murder, not just for, for rape. Just for murder, not for rape. Okay. Yeah. He is sentenced to murder with malice. So, <sighs> cool. He's sentenced. He goes away for Diane's murder. There's a little more, though, because he was not a stranger to jail, just like I said. He had been in and out of them, um, of the prison system, since 1961. His crimes include uh, possession of stolen property. His what's include? Climbs. (laughs) (laughs) It's Uh, a new fruit. So, um, possession of stolen property, theft, robbery, all of that, basically. Robbery shit is what he had been going away for. So he was actually picked up in January 1970, one month after Diane's murder, for car theft. Ring a bell. Dangus. And he went to prison again. In 1976, he was arrested for um, a similar attempted abduction. But in 1991, he was granted clemency. Why? I do not know. So, since he had been in and out of the system, some of you might be asking yourselves, well, why weren't his prints in the system? Well, HPD at the time only took thumbprints. His fucking thumb wasn't left on the fucking car. So, that was useless. Um... So he had been, quote, a model citizen since his very last release. But fun fact. Shut the fuck up with that. I hate that. I know. Model citizen. Like, oh, good. You kept to yourself and stopped robbing and hurting people. Awesome. You're a great guy. Um, He murdered Diane only nine days after being released from a stint in jail. So total rehabilitation, right? Mm -hmm. So he says that he intended to rob her. He was near the building, saw her get out of her car, held her at knife point, and took her into the shed. Like I said, he does deny the rape. He had just gotten out of jail. I'm assuming he is enraged. His adrenaline is pumping because he's going to rob this girl. And he rapes her while he's at it. Because why not? I'm not sure if he intended to murder her. I, I... because of the fact that his whole shtick has been theft, yes. you would think maybe not, but yeah. escalation is also tacked it's on. It's a thing. But then again, he de-escalated. True. Police say they do not suspect him But maybe that's just because he's a bitch murders. and can't hack it. Right. Not that I'm trying to promote I'm thinking escalation. with the position of the stab wound, right. it, it happened while he was raping her. Yeah. I'm not sure he intended to kill her. He's still a fucking piece of shit, though. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And he got away with it for 36 years. So, Diane's family got some semblance of closure, something that would have never happened had David not stayed vigilant. 
Um, I could not, Great. unfortunately, even though there is an episode on Forensic Files about this, I could find much about Diane. Um, she was 25 when she died in 1969. Shut up. I know. I don't remember so that. So fucking young. She had a son. She was a single mother. Her fo- The photos of the crime scene were actually illegally sold by someone in the police department to some kind of French magazine. Um, Ew. That ran a story about Texas beauty raped and slain. It was in like 1972, something like that. So that was a tidbit from the forensic files. Um, her brother is interviewed. Her sister is interviewed. Her dad got to live to see kind of her killer brought forward and justice be brought. He... That was his one thing his whole life. He just wanted to find out who took his sweet daughter away from him at 25 years old. Um, but his his her brother is the fucking hero of the story. Everyone says it in the forensics files. He is the reason this stayed in the forefront of HPD's mind. This is the reason that Detective James Ramsey actually was able to formulate an emotional connection. He's the reason that prints were ran through the APHIS system and within fucking, what is that, five months, a perp was put away. It's just... This guy, that's why I wanted to tell this story. Um, It was suggested by a listener of the podcast, Courtney. Um, Hi, Courtney. But when I was researching it, I was like, you know what? This is a pretty cut and dry. It's a shorter murder. But I think it's really amazing that her brother totally abandoned his career path to work with the people who are going to find justice for his sister. That's what he dedicated his life to. And it's because of him that this piece of shit is in jail and didn't get to live the remainder of his life in a comfortable fucking Texarkana project. Like, you know, it's just, there's not a lot of questions well, and theories. I'm sure. My only question would be, did he mean to murder her? I don't think so. Who cares? Yeah, it's, it's just, it's horrible. It's scary because she was, for all intents and purposes, safe. She was in her work parking lot. She was steps away from going to work it was 1 p.m on a sunday you know it's just it was so quick it happened and you know william bell did the right thing and he tried to get her help and unfortunately the wound was too deep it's just so like one one stab wound and she's dead i mean it's senseless one touch like you said this guy could have been in prison forever for someone else's robbery rape and murder right you know i mean I don't know. I think that's kind of... I don't know. It's really sad. It is really sad. And I wish I had more information about her. Yeah. It's one of those things, like, even the find a grave is just survived by her two parents and date of birth, date of death. Yeah, it's mostly a tale of heroism on her brother's part that he didn't let her case go cold. Yeah. And he took control in a situation that makes most people feel helpless. So I thought that was really cool, and I hope someone would do that for me. <laughs> and I, I feel like I kind of butchered this one no. just because it's a little choppy and it's short, and I tried to collect my Forensics Files thoughts. And why do I keep saying Forensics? I know, plural. Plural. I know it's bugging it's you. Plural. I know it's bugging you. It's like people you saying Kroger's. my like eyebrow twitch every time. <laughs> like she did it again. <laughs> I'm glad you covered that because I really do enjoy that murder, even though now I can't like kind of remember what the fuck I'm talking about. I know. And it's like, go watch the forensic files because it's 
Singular. <laughs> I did it right. It's cool. It's uh, season 12. It's called Brotherly Love. Um, so it's... Oh, because Because her brother, brother, yeah. And it's really neat to he just... Was, did anyone else picture a brother relentlessly trying to prove that he was a brother? Like, no, I fucking am. No, because Wait, of relentless... Are you talking incest again? No! <laughs> For once. Maybe For I once. am. No, like, the, no, it's fine. Like, like you a got brother, it, like a like a black like guy. an SNL... No. I don't know what you mean. You're like the relentless brother. And so I just pictured like an <laughs> SNL character of like, I'm your fucking brother. Oh. Like, I'm going to prove it. Not brother with an Got A. Wow. Nope. Don't <laughs> do that. <laughs> We're white. Cool. Thanks for listening. Um, well, We might be back. I don't know. We'll see. At some point. We didn't have a ha- uh, Halloween. Wow. A Valentine's Day episode. Or we can, we're not going to have a Valentine's Day episode because it's. It's Too next late. week. Yeah. Yeah. Just if you want a Valentine's Day episode, go back in our catalog and go back to last year. It's a good one. It's way better than this one. Way better. <laughs> Soup's better. Um, And then, yeah, we're going to have an episode soon because my birthday's coming up. And I swear to God that I make a big deal about my birthday because it's my birthday. It's Doss- her it's birthday. It's my birthday. Just like Dossie It's her birthday. Did it- I don't sound like that. No, that's what Saucy sounds like. This is about me, okay? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, cool. Um, Cassie's on her phone, so, you know, PayPal, things and stuff. I promise a uh, homegirl that messaged us about the pins. We have pins. We, we have two that messaged us. Oh, just kidding. So we have pins. One is pink that says uh, combative. The other is white that says no one's listening. Yep, that's how they look. And uh, if you guys want them... Well, we're still trying to figure that out. Yeah. Just like we did like two weeks ago. Yeah. We're basically trying to figure out how y'all can just fucking reimburse us for the shipping <laughs> through no, PayPal. It'll all be through PayPal, but I just want to make sure we're not overcharging, undercharging, yada, yada. Yeah. You know, thank you guys for wanting pins. We'll post yeah, uh, really some cool. pictures of the pins just so you have an idea. And uh, Instagram photos, Facebook, Twitter. We're not on them because no. we don't care about anything. Yeah. And what? If anyone's listening. Thank you. Happy Happy Halloween. Halloween.